0: The following is a Cartoonerific Studios presentation.
1: Welcome to the very first episode of the Cartoonerific Classic Animated Cartoon Podcast. My name is Brian Mitchell, and I'm your host. I'm an animator, storyboard artist, director. I've worked in just about every category in the animation business, with the exception of background painter. I've worked on a lot of cartoons for Warner Brothers, done some stuff for Disney, Don Bluth, Uh, Hanna-Barbera, and many, many others. I was uh, a storyboard artist and designer, worked on uh, the original Animaniacs and Tiny Toons series, and then also worked on uh, Mighty Mouse, The New Adventures for Ralph Bakshi, and uh, The Spooktacular Adventures of Casper the Friendly Ghost, which was a series done in the 90s. What is Cartoonerific? You're probably scratching your head. What the heck is this all about? Well, Cartoonerific is basically a celebration of all things hand animated. So today there's been a lot of computer or 3D animation, whatever you want to call it. And that's made major inroads. I love some of the stuff that's coming out. I I think some of the features that have uh, come out over the last couple of years have been really wonderful. But I still have uh, a big fondness for hand-drawn animated cartoons. I love to animate. I love to storyboard. I love to put together uh, an entire cartoon. So here at uh, Cartoonerific, uh, you can go to our website or you can come to uh, listen to these podcasts. We're going to be talking about old animation. We're going to be talking about recent animation and animation to come in the future. And uh, the reason why this exists is because uh, I think that hand-drawn animation uh, should be around a lot more than it is. At Cartoonerific, we're going to be producing our own animated cartoons. And maybe we won't have one up every week, but we'll have them up every so often. And eventually, uh, we'll we'll have a whole bunch of them uh, that you'll be able to view online. Uh, We're working on some now. And we'll be working on some others uh, down the line. Uh, we plan on premiering these cartoons from the Cartoonerific Studio uh, sometime in the fall. When I grew up, I i am a '60s kid. I grew up in uh, in the 1960s in Brooklyn, New York. Back in at that time, you know, you only had—we only had maybe about seven television stations in New York, which includes a PBS station. Uh, we had ABC, CBS, and NBC. That was basically 2, 4, and 7. And then you had some local stations. We had Channel 5, Channel 9, and Channel 11. And then the PBS station was Channel 13. Most of the animation that was out there uh, was on the local stations. And, of course, we had Saturday morning TV. Uh, and then Sunday morning, uh, CBS used to run some stuff like Tom and Jerry. The original Tom and Jerry is from MGM. During the week, uh, the local stations had all these old bits and pieces of animation uh, from uh, the Fleischer Studio, from Terry Tunes. They had all the pre-1947 Warner Brothers cartoons, which included some Bugs Bunnies, Daffy Ducks, Porky Pigs, etc. And maybe a Roadrunner was thrown in there. What happened was some of the big movie studios like Paramount and Warner Brothers sold off the catalog of their older cartoons to television for a quick buck. And stations, they bought the cartoons uh, to be shown on their stations. It was uh, good filler material, uh, kept the kids busy. It was kind of a cheap way of, of getting programming. So we used to see all the old black and white cartoons and all the old, uh, the old color cartoons and at that time, Hanna-Barbera was actually doing brand new cartoons, which were uh, very limited in animation, but they were kind of fun, and, uh, and those cartoons ended up being syndicated to local stations around the country. In New York, we had our fair share of Yogi Bear and Huckleberry Hound, Pixie and Dixie, McGillagorilla, stuff like that, um, and of course, the Flintstones. I ended up watching all this animation and was very much influenced by it. Uh, we had local shows here that were on channel five and on channel 11, we had the Popeye show and, uh, the Popeye show was hosted by, uh, Captain Jack McCarthy, who I believe was, uh, he had other functions over at, uh, at WPIX channel 11, but one of his functions was he was the host of the show and he would come out and he would talk about, uh, I remember him talking about Montauk, New York, which is on the end of Long Island, uh, where there's a big uh, lighthouse, and it's a very beachy community. Uh, But anyway, he would talk fondly about that in between the cartoons. There were other hosts. Uh, There was a show here called Wonderama, which uh, originally was, I believe it was uh, either Sandy Becker or Sonny Fox, who were the hosts. And they used to put Warner Brothers cartoons in between the segments. That was a long show. I think it was over three hours. And uh, that show used to be on Sunday. But there were other shows during the week. And uh, these hosts would, you know, they'd come on and they would kibitz a little bit. And then, uh, you know, uh, do some fun stuff for the kids. And then they would show cartoons. I got most of this influence from uh, because I was constantly exposed to uh, Fleischer and uh, Hanna Barbera and uh, Warner Brothers cartoons, and then of course Saturday morning. Basically, Warner Brothers had their own show, and it was all the uh, cartoons after 1947 up to the that point, and um, uh, to 1963. And so they had all the newer Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner cartoons. So they were running that. Walter Lance had the Woody Woodpecker show which would have behind-the-scenes segments on how to make an animated cartoon, which was very interesting. And Disney never sold his library to television. Disney had his own show, and originally it was uh, called Disneyland because it was basically uh, put on the air on ABC to promote uh, Disneyland. But eventually, after Disneyland opened, they changed the name to Walt Disney Presents. And on that show is basically the the same show that became the Wonderful World of Disney. It moved later on to NBC and became the Wonderful World of Color. The reason why it was the Wonderful World of Color was because NBC NBC was owned by RCA, which made color TVs. So it was in their best interest to promote color television, and that's where Disney came in. What's more colorful than a cartoon? Disney used to run a lot of old cartoons. They would take cartoons and they'd put them together in a uh, in an hour format with some bridging material, new animation, and then they would run that on the uh, Sunday night television show. So I was exposed to all that. Let me tell you, I, I loved it. And I know a lot of people loved Saturday mornings, they loved the Disney TV show, but like I said, I was constantly exposed to animation, and it definitely influenced me. I ended up becoming, uh, I knew at the age of five that I wanted to be a, uh, an animation artist. I wanted to work uh, in the world of animation. So I have this love for hand-drawn animation. I, Like I said, I love the computer animation that's out there, but... Uh, I think some of these films are really wonderful, but I still have this great fondness for hand-drawn animation. I think it's very expressive. When it's done right, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. So that's what Cartoonerific is all about. It's basically uh, this wonderful celebration of these beautiful films. And also a hope that we can do some new things uh, in the future using this unique medium. We're going to have a a bunch of different guests on over the next couple of months. Uh, This podcast is going to be uploaded weekly on Fridays. So it's going to be early Friday morning, basically at 12 midnight uh, Thursday night. Uh, You will have uh, a brand new podcast. If you can't wait, you just got to get over and listen to good old Brian here just uh, on um, Friday morning. You can uh, listen to the Cartoonrific podcast. We have uh, some uh, very, very good guests coming up. One of those guests is uh, Matt Bates, who is an animator. Uh, He's a uh, character designer. Very talented guy. He's going to be on our second podcast. And he's actually going to be on our third and fourth as well, because it was a long interview. But in the weeks coming... We're going to have author Rick Goldschmidt. He's basically the man when it comes to the world of Rankin-Bass. And he wrote a book called The Enchanted World of Rankin-Bass. We're going to have him on in a couple of weeks. Uh, And we have a whole lineup of uh, different people coming. We'll let you know who those people will be uh, as we move forward. Anyway, we'll be back after this message. Don't go away. -er
0: Cartoonerific is the place to be to celebrate hand-drawn animated cartoons. The -er Cartoonerific podcast features interviews with the magic makers behind your favorite animated cartoons with episodes uploaded every Friday. Or visit the -er Cartoonerific blog featuring articles about classic cartoon animation. At the -er Cartoonerific Gallery, view original animation art and memorabilia from your favorite animated films and TV shows. The company store features exclusive swag from the Cartoonerific universe, and coming soon, brand new world premiere cartoons on the Cartoonerific channel. It's all here. Join the fun at www.cartoonerific.com. That's cartoon e r i f i c dot com. It's Cartoonerific, saving the universe one funny cartoon at a time.
1: Oh yeah, this is Brian Mitchell. And you're listening to the Cartoon horrific Classic Animated Cartoons Podcast. Thanks for joining us. You know, years ago, uh, years ago, back in the Stone Age, there were no books on uh, cartoon animation. It was very hard to find anything. Uh, you might find something in the encyclopedia, the World Book Encyclopedia. You might uh, find a book maybe a a book about uh, Sleeping Beauty, like uh, Walt Disney's Art of Animation book from 1959. There was a book uh, that was produced by Walter Foster Art Books uh, back in the 50s, which uh, showed how to do the construction for Disney and MGM-style characters, even Warner Brothers-style characters. Um, The book was called uh, Cartoon Animation, it was by Walt, uh, was by Preston Blair, excuse me, and uh, Walter Foster was the company that released it. It was maybe about a forty page book. Uh, the original book actually had drawings of uh, Tom and Jerry in it. They had to be taken out and basically substituted with drawings of like characters that looked like those characters, but they weren't uh, specifically Tom and Jerry. But uh, it had been in print for years. Eventually, there was a second book, How to Animate Animated Cartoons, and uh, that was added back in the late 70s, which Preston Blair also authored. Those were basically the books that were available at the time. And if you wanted to learn about how your favorite Warner Brothers cartoons were done or you or Terrytoon cartoons, or well, Disney, there was a little bit out there, but uh, MGM cartoons, there's virtually nothing out there. That didn't start happening until the '70s, uh, somewhere in the late '70s, where articles started coming out, and then there were fanzine things. Uh, one thing that comes to uh, mind was a uh, a fanzine called Mind Rot, which uh, was basically an, uh, uh, printed on a, a, a Xerox machine. <laughs> That came out to talk about cartoons. But back then, there, there was, like I said, before the late 70s, there was virtually nothing. So if you want to learn about how these cartoons done, were done or whatever, maybe you might find a, a something out of the World Book Encyclopedia. I remember one from, I think, 1969, 1970 World Book Encyclopedia, where they were talking about the production of uh, of a, um, a Peanuts movie, either Snoopy Come Home or, or a, a boy named Charlie Brown, which was produced by Bill Melendez, by his company. And so there are pictures in there of the drawings and cells and stuff like that, which was very, very, very informative, but it was only a couple of pages. But, you know, at that time, when you're trying to learn, when you're trying to find out stuff, there was just so little out there. I remember writing to Disney Studios back uh, when I was maybe 10 or 11 about animation. And they sent me uh, stuff in the mail. It had to be a thick, it was almost like a book in itself. All this information about how the processes were and how things worked and what an animator had to do and stuff like that. Just a a, a thick packet of information. Um, But other than that, there was nothing, and I had to write to them directly for that. As far as books on uh, the Looney Tunes and uh, and MGM cartoons and stuff like that, it wasn't until the late seventies where Leonard Malton put out a book of uh, It was called "Of Mice and Magic," and it was an excellent book that really talked about all the major Hollywood studios. And when I say Hollywood Studios, uh, two of the studios that were in there were Max Fleischer studio and uh, Famous Studios. And another one was Terry Tunes. They were New York-based studios. The rest were all in California. As a matter of fact, uh, Walter Lance's outfit, I believe he shared office space with uh, Bob Clampett. Bob Clampett had his studio, I think, in the same building on Seward Avenue in, uh, in Hollywood. Of course, there were other studios, Filmation, Hanna-Barbera, which uh, basically set up their own studio on Cahuenga in Hollywood, uh, had started in the old Charlie Chaplin studio and then uh, moved and they built their own studio in Los Angeles. I think that studio is now a gym. Anyway, it wasn't until there was an animation book put out about the process of creating cartoons and uh, the Disney way, which was uh, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston's uh, Disney animation, The Illusion of Life, that was put out in the very early 80s. And uh, there was even a museum exhibit in New York, I believe, at the Whitney, which was Disney Animators and Animations, a very impressive exhibit that I ended up going to see while I was uh, a student at uh, School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. Of course, now there's so many other books out there. Two books that uh, you want to look at if you're an aspiring animator uh, came out within the last 20 years. One is uh, Richard Williams' The Animator's Survival Kit. The uh, new edition, has uh, it's basically updated. There's uh, uh, new material in there, so it's well worth getting. If you have the old one, you should... Probably pick up the new one as well. The other book is Eric Goldberg, who's a wonderful animator. Uh, He's been uh, basically producing commercials in uh, London. He ended up at Disney uh, in the uh, early 90s. Fantastic animator, really knows his stuff. He put out a book called Character Animation Crash Course, a really great, great book. Very informative, fun to read. Uh, Both books are highly recommended. If you don't have Disney Animation, uh, The Illusion of Life, it's good for anybody. It's basically if you want to be an animator, you just want to learn about animation, uh, learn how Disney animation was done, that's an excellent book to get. All those books are basically uh, featured on our website, the Cartoonerific.com website, and you can get them through there. There's links there that will take you right through, and uh, you can purchase it directly. One of the things that we're going to be talking about in the future is collecting animation art. Early on, when I was just an aspiring animator, you know, a kid just learning about it at the age of 11, I had seen something on a local TV station. We had uh, the PBS station here in New York, Channel 13, used to have auctions on air which would support the station. And one day I was watching it, and uh, the Disney company had donated two original cells from the Aristocats, and I remember them putting this thing up there. It was, uh, of course, of the cats. They put the value as a big question mark. I remember uh, asking my father, because I was watching this, and I was like, oh my God, they have original cartoon art, and I really wanted... One of those cells. When they first put it up there, I think it got a bid of maybe ten dollars, and I was like, "Oh, we got, we have to do this. We got to, got to bid on it. dad. You know, please, you know, can we, can we bid on this?" And uh, so what we did was uh, we called up and we bid fifty dollars on each of those cells. Before long, the. The fifty dollars showed up, but then it became hundred dollars, and it became three hundred dollars, and then eventually over a thousand dollars each. So my dreams of getting an animation cell uh, from the uh, the PBS Channel Thirteen auction were were gone. But what I ended up learning years later, and not too many years later was that these cells were available at Disneyland and Walt Disney World for about 3 a apiece. Disney was testing the waters to see if there was interest in animation art. So once that auction finished, I guess Disney pulled all their animation cells, all these cells that they were selling at the parks for $3 apiece. They pulled them, and they started the Disney art program. So eventually... The cells from the next animated feature, Robin Hood, were now being sold in galleries. And guess what? They weren't $3 a piece anymore. Uh, they were still, at the time, a little bit pricey uh, because it was the early 70s. Uh, they were going for between 40 and $75 a piece in the galleries. But that started off uh, the whole animation art craze, I believe, because by the Beginning of the 80s, animation art, where you could actually buy a cell used uh, from a, somebody who had been to Disneyland for maybe $15, 20 $30, was now going for $100 or $200 or $300 or more. And so I ended up uh, starting off as a collector before I actually got in as an animator working at different studios. Kind of interesting. In future episodes we'll be talking about theme parks and how hand-drawn animation has influenced those over the years, especially the Disney parks. We're also going to talk about new television shows, new movies uh, and we're going to re- review them and talk with people who made them. Um, there's an excellent show uh, called Cat Burglar which is a, a very funny interactive show on Netflix. There's that and a whole lot more coming to the Cartoonerific Podcast, Classic Animated Cartoons. I guess my point is, is hand-drawn animation is a powerful, powerful medium, and it deserves to be. We're going to produce some cartoons, and by listening to the podcast and telling other people, you'll be helping promote hand-drawn animated cartoons. Our website address is www.cartoonerific.com. We're just starting out. Uh, Things are going to grow. Things are going to get better as time goes along. And we hope that you're there with us for the ride. If you want to stay up to date with all things Cartoonerific, including the podcast, all you have to do is subscribe. Go to www.cartoonerific.com. Subscribe right there. If you have any questions, uh, go up to comments and uh, send us a quick email. Next week, we have Matt Bates. He is an animator and designer. Really wonderful podcast coming up with him next week. So please stay tuned. This is Brian Mitchell. I hope you've had a great day. I hope you have a wonderful week. And thank you for joining us.
0: This has been a Cartoonerific Studios presentation.
1: The Cartoonerific Podcast is copyright 2024 by Cartoonerific Studios Incorporated. All rights reserved.